Welcome to Teach Musically, the music studio teacher's guide to business and pedagogy solutions. My name is Michelle. And I'm Leanne. Today's podcast is all about musicality and the steps we can take to develop this trait in our students. While some students are naturally more musical than others, it is a skill set that can be taught and developed with the right methods. Musicality brings music to life and makes for an engaging and captivating performance. The term musicality gets used a lot amongst music teachers, but let's define exactly what it means. Dictionary.com defines it as knowledge, skill, and artistic sensitivity in performing music. The Wikipedia page on musicality defines it as sensitivity to, knowledge of, or talent for music. The common word we see amongst most definitions is sensitivity. I think in music, this indicates the ability to perceive and be aware of the emotion of the music. With our youngest students, developing musicality can take time and patience since these young children are only just beginning to understand their own emotions and the emotions of those around them. While it's tricky, it's not impossible. Today, we'll discuss some of our favorite strategies for developing musicality in our own students. Let's start off with something that is so easy and works well for the youngest students, those that are not yet ready to start learning an instrument, and that is simply to listen to music in a guided way. I used to teach at a Montessori preschool with students ages two and a half to six. Listening to different pieces of music with a guided activity was something I did often and the kids loved it. Absolutely, and there's so much you can do within that. You can sing, dance, discuss the sound, act out the music. The possibilities are endless. Tell us about some of the activities you did with your preschool class. Finding any type of way to move to the music was very fun and also teaches the children so much. It develops their sense of pulse, phrasing, and musical structure. You can adjust the type of movement to suit the style and character of the piece. One song I loved to use a lot was Pop Goes the Weasel. The children would march around in a circle to the beat of the music. When they heard the word pop, they would have to jump up into the air. It's so simple, but they developed a great sense of rhythmic lilt of the 6-8 time, and the movement of the jump imitates the sound of the pop in the song. The particular version of the song I used also had a big pause right at the end, and often the kids would get tricked by it and they thought it was just hilarious. That is really cute and really engaging. Did you come up with that idea like on your own? I did. Wow, that's really great. I I can tell that it would be really, really fun for the young students, especially the surprise at the end. Yes. There are so many children's songs that could be used to create a similar activity. What about classical music? Were you able to incorporate that and how? Of course, there's actually a lot of classical music that kids really like to listen to. Two of my favorites are The Carnival of the Animals by Saint-Saëns and Peter and the Wolf by Prokofiev. With Carnival of the Animals, I would print out photos of all the different animals and place them on the floor. First, we would go around and name each animal and say what it is. Then we would talk about how the music for that animal might sound. For example, I would ask the class, if the music about a swan would be loud and fast or slow and smooth. Often they would answer slow and smooth and I would ask them why. This would open a nice discussion. They would describe that the swan floats smoothly through the water, things like that. Once we've done that, I play a clip from each movement and have the children guess which animal it is. After all the answers have been revealed, we listen again and then we move around the room pretending to be the animal. For the elephant, we would stomp around the room with big heavy steps And for the kangaroo, we would hop lightly. It's really fun. It does sound really fun. And it really seems to encourage like their imagination and creativity, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important. 
There's a lot of learning happening here, and it's such a great opportunity to talk about different instruments and why they represent that animal. So tell me more about Peter and the Wolf. The activity with Peter and the Wolf is so simple. If you're not already familiar with this composition, it works great with children because Prokofiev actually includes a narration between each movement. In this sense, it's like an actual children's story with very descriptive music. Children love listening to the story, and we would act it out as we went along, pretending to be all the different characters. The representation of the story through music would teach them so much. Listening to music is a great way to start connecting sound to emotion. We can continue to do this with our students once they've begun private lessons. It can be beneficial to ask students to describe the emotions or character of a piece, but this isn't always easy. That's true. Often students are shy or they may lack the vocabulary or emotional capacity to answer this type of question. That's why we can help them along and give them some ideas. You can play a passage of music and give them two options. Do you think this sounds happy or sad? Usually the answer will be very obvious. Once a student has developed comfort and facility in answering these really easy and basic questions, you can start to use more complex words like mysterious, playful, or angry. Keep expanding their vocabulary until your students has developed a wide range of ways to describe the music. It's also valuable to use the title of the music to connect to the emotions where possible. A lot of beginner books do a great job of using fun, expressive titles. I think of Faber Level 1 and the piece The Dinosaur Stomp. This piece is used to teach the accent mark. It is a great opportunity to discuss how the markings in the music evoke the title. You can stomp around the room like a big dinosaur with your student. This way, they are experiencing a new articulation through movement, and it's both fun and educational. Yes, the heavy steps you do are a great parallel to the low, accented notes in the left hand, and it's so much fun. Not all pieces have these fun, creative titles, though. I think of lots of early classical repertoire. Unfortunately, the titles are a little bit less imaginative, like Etude in C or Little Piece. How can we bring the music to life without the help of lyrics or title? I think these types of pieces are a great opportunity to get creative with your student. Even though these titles are less descriptive, it doesn't mean that the music lacks interest. I would recommend playing the piece for your student and opening a discussion about it. What is the character? What is the mood? If you could give this piece a new title, what would it be? Kids are often very creative and will enjoy this type of activity. It's true. You can even cross out the original title and replace it with their new title. They love this. Another step you can take is having the students create their own lyrics or their own storyline. I think this can be valuable at all levels from beginner to advanced students. Absolutely. I love having students assign a different character to each section of the music. For example, in pieces with the ABA format, the joyful A section could represent a princess, whereas the minor B section could represent a wicked witch. The possibilities are endless. I love using this technique at the advanced levels too. A piece that comes to mind is Dance of the Marionettes from RCM Level 8 Etudes. When I hear this piece, there's such a clear sense of narrative and shifting character from section to section. I recently had a student struggling to create variety throughout this piece. We went through it together and he crafted a story and it really transformed his playing. There were such clear shifts in character from section to section and I could really feel the story come to life. Sometimes with younger students, it can be difficult for them to express a broad range of emotions simply because they have less life experience to pull from. That's not to say that they lack emotion, but we may need to adjust our strategies so that they can pull from their own real life experiences. A common term we come across in classical music is agitato. 
While adults can probably easily relate to this term, it may be harder for a child to connect. Instead of taking the term for its literal translation, which is agitated, use a synonym that the child can understand and relate to. A good one may be frustrated. You can ask your student, tell me about a time when you were frustrated. They may tell you about a time when they weren't allowed to go to their friend's house or when their parent took away their screen time. While it may not have as much depth as someone who is a little bit older and has more life experience, that doesn't really matter. The important part is that they're drawing from their own real life experiences and they're translating that into the music. Yeah, I think it's really important to find some life experience that they can connect to, whether it's their own or through maybe one of their friends, because it really makes the music mean more to them. And I think that's very important, making it convincing when they play as well. So once a student has been able to identify the emotion or mood of a piece and give a real-life example, the tricky part can be having them to translate that into the music itself. Sometimes simply thinking about the emotion is enough and the music will come to life. Other times, though, we need to help our students achieve this next step. Sometimes it can be really helpful to remove the instrument from the equation and use our voice instead. This takes the pressure off of combining the right notes, rhythms, and coordination with the desired emotion. Our voice is what we use to express ourselves in day-to-day life, so what better way to experiment with different emotions? We can take a phrase of the music, add lyrics to it, and have our students sing it in different ways. Can they sing this phrase happily, sadly, with anger, with frustration? This will guide their pacing, tone, punctuation, and overall approach. Once we've found the variety in their voice, we can translate that to their instrument and watch the magic happen. In terms of articulation, another really helpful thing we can do is compare the quality of sound to some kind of real-life experience. When playing staccato, we can compare it to bouncing a basketball, for example. If we want our students to play with a lighter touch, we can compare it to tickling. I also like to compare legato playing to a relay race where one finger passes the baton to the next finger. That's some really imaginative suggestions. I really like that. Yeah. You can also ask your students about people in their life who relate to certain emotions. For example, if they are playing a piece that is very triumphant, you can ask them if they have a friend or family member who is very brave and what makes them this way. Then we can play this piece as if it's a theme song or tribute to this friend or family member. I love that. Art is so intersectional. So with our students that are artistic in other areas, we can tap into that and help develop their musicality. I think drawing, painting, or dance can all be helpful. Yes, drawing can be used from the earliest beginners to the most advanced students. You can ask them to draw while you play the piece or to do this at home. The drawing can be simple. The colors and movements of the lines can tell you a lot about the student's interpretation. Some students may choose to depict a story that is happening in the music. The possibilities are endless here. Dancing is great too. Often I've noticed my students dance around the room while I'm demonstrating a piece, so maybe I should actually pay more attention to how they're moving. (laughs) Definitely. Ask them to show you their dance and move along with them. Once we get to more advanced levels, the musicality becomes more subtle and nuanced. I think of things like rubato, phrasing, and tone. These things are much trickier to teach because of their subjectivity. Yes, those concepts are so complex and take a lot of time and different examples to master. Let's start with phrasing. I think most students can easily identify a phrase, and this is a skill we can practice from even the most simple beginner pieces. What can be more tricky is shaping and contouring a phrase. I like to start with the most basic guidelines. Start gentle, grow louder in the middle, and end softly. I like to have my students identify 
which note or set of notes in the phrase they think are the most important or interesting. In beginner and more simple pieces, these things are easy to identify. In more advanced and complex repertoire, it's not always as obvious, but that's not a bad thing. It is great to approach this as a discussion. Let the student decide for themselves where each phrase begins and ends and have them tell you why they made their choices. This will develop independent thinking with some guidance from you, the teacher. In terms of rubato, I like to describe it as borrowed time as opposed to the literal translation of rob time. Often I hear students slow down a lot at the ends of phrases, causing the music to drag and lose its sense of pulse. However, when we slow down, I tell my students we need to make up for it by pushing the tempo forward in other places. When students are first learning about rubato, I give general guidelines to get them started. Slow down at the end of the phrase and speed up a little bit in the middle of the phrase. Of course, this isn't going to work for every piece and every phrase, but it's a good starting point. From there, it is important for us to help our students experience a wide range of interpretations. You can assign them to listen to three different recordings of a piece they are learning and describe which one they like best and why. This is also a great way to show them that there is no one right way to interpret a piece of music. Exactly. Listening to the masters is very valuable, and I don't think it should be frowned upon as copying or imitating someone else's interpretation. We can actually borrow this concept from the jazz world. A big part of jazz education is listening to and transcribing solos from the great artists. I think we can do the same thing in the classical world. I think we can too. And this has been a great discussion about musicality. It's clear that musicality encompasses so many skills and takes time and continuous effort to develop. Don't be afraid to tap into your students' creativity and bring out the most of their musical self. We hope you found this podcast helpful. How do you help your students develop their musicality? Let us know in the comments below. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more great discussions. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and online at teachmusically.com. Until next time, happy teaching!